from the EPR Creation Studio. This is the Unconquered Podcast, Hot Takes Edition, after Florida State loses 26-42 to at Notre Dame. I'm going to pause real quickly to thank EPR Creations, Garage Makeovers, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, and Shenandoah Newsma of Keller Williams Realty in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And to be honest, this uh, this Hot Takes podcast is going to be relatively short. I'm going to come back and revisit some things midweek or so, uh, early in the week. But uh, overall, I mean, I'm one of the reasons that this is going to be a shorter episode is that there's more to be optimistic about after watching this game than, than I expected, to be honest. Uh, 26 points scored by Florida State. That's double what I projected uh, in this game. And you, you look at the yards per play in this game, Florida State 5.7 yards per play offensively. I mean, offensively, I think you saw in this game proof of concept that Mike Norvell and his staff know what they're doing and they understand how to get the most out of an offense. And you have to continue to be impressed and pleased by the play of the offensive line for Florida State. At this point, it, it's don't let anybody keep talking about how Florida State's offensive line is the reason that they're overmatched in games. It's just not the case anymore. The, the offensive line, and I, I said this a couple weeks ago, and it's still true, that along with the running back position, the offensive line has been the most reliable and best offensive group so far in 2020. And and that's that's surprising. Now, I, I think the running backs might have pulled ahead a little bit more, might have pulled a, a little ahead of the of the uh, of the offensive line overall. I mean, Webb in this game was excellent. And you got to be really impressed by I, I, I have to give credit to uh, to Mike Norvell and, and his staff for identifying Webb as a uh, as a recruit, as somebody to bring in who could help immediately. He's a better player than I thought he was uh, in terms of my grade on him coming out and uh, and, and really showed the, the ability to break some tackles and, and showed outstanding balance uh, in this game and, and good vision and instincts. And, and you got to give Norvell a lot of credit for being able to evaluate running backs just in general. If you look at his record at, at Memphis in particular, he's always been able to find running backs who could do what he needed in his system. And and he made some of those guys into stars. And we're talking about guys that were not five-star running backs coming out of high school. So you got to give Norvell and his staff a lot of credit. And, and there are certain, certain guys that get the benefit of the doubt from me uh, with, with respect to certain positions that if this guy is recruiting that position, then I'm going to go ahead and, and, and figure that if I don't think much of that player, then I'm probably the one that's wrong. <laughs> there are certain guys that certain coaches that just understand what they're looking for in certain positions and they get it. Uh, Butch Davis was one of those guys where if Butch Davis is recruiting a linebacker, I want that linebacker. I don't care what anybody else says. I don't care what my own eyes say. You're going to believe Butch Davis or your own lying eyes. Butch Davis knows what a linebacker looks like. He knows what he what he wants, and he'll take a guy who plays quarterback in, in high school, and he looks at him and he says that guy sh- that guy's going to be a dynamite linebacker. And all of a sudden, you get Bruce Carter, and that's a guy that you know if he wants a linebacker, the guy can play. And I think Mike Norvell, <laughs> it appears that he and, and and the guys around him are that way with running backs. That if I'm sort of second guessing them on on the running back front they they probably they're, they're probably worth the benefit of the doubt on that i think that that much has been shown so far uh and the question will be on the quarterback position are they going to be able to do that that's what that's the position that as we've talked about really matters most 
But at the end of the day, I mean, they they have found a way to manufacture a running game with an offensive line that coming into the season, everybody was basically saying, well, how can they scheme around that offensive line? Well, this is a good Notre Dame defense. This is not a bad, bad Notre Dame defense. And they ran the ball 40 times in this game. 40 times for 3.8 yards per rush. And that's including sack yardage, by the way. So uh, over four yards a rush, not including sack yards. Against a good Notre Dame front. That, I tell you what, that says a lot. And that, that says, I mean... That's without a Cam Akers or, or that kind of guy at, at running back too. So I mean, you gotta you gotta give them a lot of credit for finding a way to manufacture offense. Now the other thing that you have to do is you have to give a lot of credit to J- Jordan Travis. Jordan Travis had 19 of those carries for 96 yards. That's 5.1 yards per carry, and again, that includes uh, any lost yardage that you've got there. The the primary sacks were two sacks on Blackman for minus nine yards. In the in, in that final drive, so and again, that just shows you the difference that that a quarterback can make in terms of uh, of bringing some dynamism. But what they did is they they said, "Look, Jordan Travis is not going to win the win games for you throwing the football a bunch, but he can potentially keep you in games and potentially win games running the football and making plays on the run." with his legs, and then being able to throw the ball down the field on the move. That's really where he can make a difference. And you could see that in this game. 13 of 24 passing the football, and the completion percentage isn't isn't super high there, just over 50%. And, and you saw a lot of the limitations as a thrower, a couple, couple throws that, that probably should have been picked, one that probably I mean, was real close to a, to a pick six, uh, and one that was intercepted, but... Uh, a couple balls that skipped, you know, some things that you could see. Look, the guy's not a pocket passer, but what you could see is that he can make you make some plays, make enough plays with his arm to keep you honest and really make that much more, make his legs that much more dangerous. And 204 yards on 24 attempts, that's almost 10 yards an attempt. That's good enough to win with. Again, passer rating of 131. That's, you know, average, a little below average, you'd say, but against a good defense and a game where he almost cracked 100 yards as, as a runner himself. I'll, you'll take that anytime. That's, those, are, those are solid numbers. And just overall, the spark that he has brought the Florida State offense and giving them an identity and, and giving Norvell the option to, to use more of his running game and being able to get them into proper run checks. I mean, he made a couple mistakes there. Uh, a couple mistakes in in terms of post snap reads on on the read game, but overall, you look at what he was able to do, and he was able for the most part to get team get the team into into good checks, get them into the right play, right run play at the line of scrimmage, and they do a lot of you know come to the line of scrimmage with one run call, and the quarterback has has the has the option to flip it or to go to a. a a call that goes with it, that's married to it. Uh, if the if the front is this, then then you check to this automatically. And he did a good job of getting into some of that stuff. So you got to give Jordan Travis a lot of a, a lot of credit there as well. And you're seeing again, as I said before, you're seeing a bit of proof of concept that in the absence of absolutely atrocious quarterback play, Mike Norvell knows how to coach the offense. They're going to have a good offense as long as Mike Norvell is going to be in Tallahassee. He'll find a way to move the football. And beyond that, they, they found a way to hold on to the football in this game. They slowed this game down, even though there were, <laughs> there were a lot of points scored. Notre Dame 
shredded the Florida State defense to such a degree that if if the offense had not held the ball as long as it did, 32 minutes of time of possession, this could have gotten out even more out of control. But they were able to move the football even when they didn't uh even though they didn't score, they were able to get field able to flip the field at times, change some field position and get some positive plays. And and the thing that stood out most to me in this game was their ability to get themselves out of long, keep themselves and and also get themselves out of long yardage situations so that they, they had pretty good leverage most of the time as an offense in this game. And again, that's a testament to how well this game was called by the offensive staff and a testament to how Jordan Travis was able to do use his legs and then his ability to create on the run to provide some offense. And, and again, you know, you've got to be really pleased overall with what you saw from Florida state offensively, and they've got something now to be able to show to recruits and to show to people down the line that, look, here's here's proof of concept in the FBS against good a good defense. This is what this will look like. And imagine it with an even better quarterback and with a little bit more seasoned talent up front and with, you know, a, a, a little bit more in the way of, of skill talent that's reliable. And frankly, they had some other opportunities that they really could have they could have had some big plays that that weren't made. I mean, Tamori and Terry dropped a touchdown pass, a little high, but again, Jordan Travis is not a, a pocket passer. When he puts it on your hands, even if it's out of your frame, you got to go up and, and help your quarterback there. Uh, dropped another one that was a, a long throw. You, you had a few plays that that guys could have made to keep this even closer, and, uh, and, and, and they didn't do. Now, Florida State was not going to win this game, and that's because of the other side of the football. So when I look at the other side, it's not pretty. And it's, you know, it, the numbers are not prettier than, than the game itself. 8.3 yards per play for Notre Dame. I mean, you realize that, that they were less than two yards short of a first down every time, every play. They averaged 8.4 yards a rush. That, that's not getting it done on the defensive side. And for a defense that came into the season really thinking that its defensive line would be would be its strength. And right now, across the, the, the defensive line, I don't see anybody who's playing at a super high level. I mean, there's some guys that I think are playing okay. I mean, I thought actually in this game, Marvin Wilson was okay, but he didn't look like a first or second rounder. Are you kidding me? He didn't make it, He didn't make a difference in this game. And they're going against a really good offensive line, as I said in the preview. That offensive line has five guys that are going to at least get a cup of water at the NFL level. They're, they're, they got five NFL offensive linemen. They're going to, th- that's a good offensive line. But if you're going to be playing in the NFL, if you're supposed to be a first rounder, you're supposed to win those, win some matchups again in that, in, against those guys and, and create some havoc. And you just didn't see that from any Florida state defensive lineman today. And the edge guys got absolutely, they got their tails kicked. Kando, Janarius Robinson, those guys, and especially early in the game against the gap, gap concepts. So counter tray power, that stuff, they, they didn't seem to have any idea how they were supposed to be playing that. I mean, on, uh, in, in situations where it looked like they should spill the ball, meaning you're trying to, uh, force the guy to bounce the ball outside because you got some support there. Those guys tried to box it and, let the you know box the guy into the into the line of scrimmage so that the linebackers on the inside can make the play. And of course the linebackers weren't there, and then you've got a gaping hole. And then you get down on the goal line, and all of a sudden you spill it, and there's nobody out there to spill it to. So then guy walks right in. 
This is not good. And Florida State, especially in the first half, they looked completely lost trying to stop gap concepts. They they up front were getting washed on the on the defensive line. Linebackers were in the wrong gaps or were taking poor angles to gaps, were late to gaps, were soft to gaps. Uh just all sorts of a mess leading to large holes for running backs to be able to hit hit the secondary. Uh, with some with some speed, and then the the safety who is supposed to be the primary run support in in those in many of those plays, Jaden Lars Woodby also did not play well tonight. And if you're if you're at that position, partly because you're supposed to be a, a cerebral player who's who's going to really help make sure that the defense doesn't make mistakes, you can't be the guy to push a guy when he's two yards out of bounds. That 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 was a big reason that they gave up that late touchdown in the in the first half, and that that really that touchdown was really it. I mean, Florida State had they gone into half one score down, they'd have had a chance to you know at least scare Notre Dame in this game. Going in sixteen down, or was it fifteen down at the time? Uh, that that wasn't that that was that seemed to be just enough, and it changed the momentum situation. And that that was a big play. That was a really bad play. And from a, from one of the smartest guys on the team, and a guy who you, you trust not to make that mistake, and that that guy they need a higher level of play from that guy at that position. Now, word from inside is that Hamsa Nasiruddin is getting closer and closer to being able to play. They're still they're they're hoping to have him on the field at least, maybe not as a starter, but hoping to have him on the field maybe even next game. And you know if he's at that position, they're a lot better. I still think Lars Woodby would be better at the stud spot, but. That's just me, apparently. And uh, at any rate, they did not get good enough uh, support from the boundary safety in run support to shut down some of those places where there were some seams. So essentially what happened is the defensive line got washed. Uh, In some cases, they didn't play the technique correctly against pullers, things like that, and allowed seams to open. Then linebackers didn't do a good enough job of closing down gaps where they were. And then... The, the second level didn't do a good job of cleaning up where there were where there were leaks. And so you have problems at all three levels of the defense against the run. And that's that. I mean, the, and I, I got a lot of a lot of questions on, on my Twitter feed about, you know, is this scheme? Is this is this defensive coaching or is this on the players? And I would say it's a combination. I mean, anytime you see players not executing, that's on the players, but it's also on coaching. Now, the the, the complicated factor here is that this is also, this is not, when you say this is on coaching, this is not just on this defensive coaching staff, a staff that hadn't even had time to install all its stuff before fall camp. I mean, you haven't had a chance to rep all that and certainly not rep it with live contact like you would in the, in the spring. You haven't had a chance to do all that. And and I think that's a big factor that we, we, we can't, I don't want to make excuses, but at the same point, you do need to be realistic about what, what, the obstacles are in this season. And I think you can see nationwide that, that defensive football is not at, at, at its, at its peak right now. Most years, the defense starts ahead of the offense for most teams this year in, in the coronavirus year seems to be the reverse. And I think there's reasons for that. And, and the primary reasons are that teams didn't 
hit much and, and have limited contact and have followed a number of protocols related to the coronavirus in terms of practice, in terms of contact in practice, in terms of, uh, of, of how often you're tackling to the ground and camp. You missed an entire spring of tackling to the ground and working on uh, block destruction and, and doing 11 on 11, like live stuff. And in camps, you're doing less of that then as well. You're, you're not uh, working, doing as much work on block destruction and on, on tackling and all those things. And that does impact your physicality. It does impact the way that you play defense. And I think we've seen that nationwide in terms of its effect. Now, I actually think that there's a, a good, another good comp for Florida state in terms of a peer, or at least who should be a peer. They're not really a peer in terms of level of play in the last few years, but a peer program that gives you some sense of the obstacles that Florida State is dealing with and the, that the Florida State defensive staff is dealing with in installing a new system in this year and how much that how much of a difference that can make. I mean, you look at, at LSU, they've given up 44 points to Mississippi State and 45 to Missouri this year. And LSU has a ton of defensive talent. But like Florida State, they also have a new defensive staff in, including uh, defensive coordinator Bo Pelini, who's had a good rep or good record elsewhere. I mean, he's a good defensive coordinator, in, including at LSU in the past, and they've had they've had success. But they are getting shelled this year in that new system, and I think a big reason is because they've just not had enough time to install everything the way that they wanted and to get things to get players playing fundamentally within their system. And you look at, they give up 44 to Mississippi State and you go, well, that's Mike Leach. I mean, they, and obviously that's a Mike Leach offense. And so you're, you know, it's tough matchup game one. That Mike Leach offense has scored 14 and two in the two games that uh, after the LSU win, they scored 16 points in the other two games. So I think that there's something to this that it's really, I actually thought coming into this year that it would be harder on offenses for first year team first year coaches that it would be harder to get your offense installed than for first year defensive coaches but i think the results have have actually gone the other way and the more i reflect on it the more i see why i was wrong about that and and one of the reasons is because offensively you can you can give your players playbooks and all these things and they can at least get a sense of what they're supposed to be doing and you can simplify you you're working you know what you're doing on offense in advance you know where you're going Defenses have to both dictate and react, and there's so many checks. There's so many things that, okay, if they're in this formation, then this becomes your gap. If this guy pulls, then your gap moves to here. There's so many of those things within a defense that you have to get right, or and, and everybody has to be on the same page. And if one guy's off, then that impacts everybody everybody else. You, you, you can't have that one guy off. And I think that's actually a factor here. And the more I look at it, the more I go, man, I would not want to be a first-year defensive coordinator this year. Offense is tough, and, and you, you can see that the first-year offenses have struggled, but they haven't struggled as much as the first-year defenses, I don't think. And I think that there's something to that with what we're seeing from Florida State. Now, the, the concern is that you're just not seeing the level of physicality. You're not seeing certain things, and frankly, Florida State looks slow on defense a number of times against Notre Dame. Uh, they just don't have a lot of speed at linebacker, and honestly, Lars Woodby runs like a linebacker at boundary safety. So... You know, you get those situations. They looked slow a number of times on defense. Uh, and also Kendo looks like a shell of himself or a shell of what was expected uh, right now. He just looks stiff and, and isn't moving real well. So, you know, you look at, they, they look slow at times, but beyond that, they just, 
they're, they're, they're not in position well enough to be able to use what speed they have. And when you're taking bad angles, when you're letting guys get into gaps with a full head of steam before you're actually, before you're there and you're having to do a lot of chasing, you're going to look slow. So I, I think that's the situation. That's where Florida State stands. I think the plus of this is as you look at the quarters situation, Notre Dame averaged 13.5 yards per play. That's not, that's not a plus. You're going to have to hold with me here. Notre Dame averaged 13.5 yards per play in the first quarter. Now that's, that's really bad. <laughs> that's really, really bad. They gave up 128 yards rushing in the first quarter. Yikes. But 13.5 yards per, per play in the first quarter. 7.8 yards per play in the second quarter. And then six yards per play in the third quarter. And then 8.7 in the fourth quarter. So if you just look at the halves, Notre Dame averaged 10.1 yards per play in the first half and then 6.1 yards per play in the second half. I think that's actually, I think that's meaningful because Notre Dame didn't just shut it down completely. Now they did shut it down a little bit in the fourth quarter and that's actually where they, they were able to run it a little bit more at the end and were still able to, to do some things. But that, that cutting it from, from 10.1 in the first half, which is embarrassingly bad, to 6.1, which is actually reasonably respectable against a good offense. You're not going to win most games giving up six yards per play, but that's not humiliating. You'd, you'd hope to be in the, you know, mid fives, you know, high fives against a, a quality offense as often as not. And if you've got a really good defense, if your defense is elite, then you're holding them under five. But 6.1, you know, that's, that's, that's not what you want, but it's a whole lot closer. And what that tells me is that they were able to clean some stuff up at the half and, and figure and get some guys to figure out like, look, here's what you, here's what you were doing. Why are you doing this? And it looked to me like a lot of assignments and a lot of things that, that weren't where they should be got cleaned up at the half and were better in the second half. And so that's encouraging. That shows me that the defensive staff is not clueless. That shows me that they can actually teach and get guys to do some of these things, but it suggests that they're just at this point, they're coaching uphill and they don't, they're not in a position to be able to uh, maximize what they have week to week because they're still installing, they're still teaching these guys the base stuff on their defense. And because of some weaknesses on the roster and some other issues, they're forced to, to do certain things that some of these guys aren't really prepared to do. I do think that you can blame them for going to the tight front in preparation for Miami when that's not something that they're planning on using most of the year. And it's a front that they're not all that good at, that they haven't been all that good at. And I feel like they wasted two, two weeks of good teaching time in installing some stuff that is less relevant to a lot of the stuff that they're doing now. And I think that put them behind a little bit. It would have been better to stick with your stuff and move some guys around a little bit rather than do that in my view. But otherwise, I think you can see that, that just based on the second half, first to second half improvement, that, Maybe the second half of this season, you'll, you'll see a, a defense that starts to find their footing as guys start to understand what their jobs are and start to fit and fit their responsibilities and, and, and hit their run gaps correctly. Uh, and, and, you know, you see gap control actually starting to happen. You wonder whether that's going to, whether that's going to be the case because first half to second half in the game showed some of that. I wonder whether first, first half of the season, second half of the season, we start to see some of that as well. I'm going to go ahead and wrap there. This has been the Unconquered Podcast, Hot Takes Edition. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening.
The Unconquered Podcast is brought to you by EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, Shenandoah Newsma of Keller Williams Realty in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Garage Makeovers of Palm Beach and Broward County, and The Unconquered Podcast Shop, which features stickers, magnets, and other Seminole gear. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts, post us on social media, and tell a friend. Thanks also to those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast from supporters. Special thanks to those above the bleach numbers level. That is Keith Cheney, Casey Kidd, Chris Chartrand, Andrew Garrett, Brian Leninger, Travis Smith, Vince Calandra, and Bert Bertoldi. I made this. <laughs>